The Badge to the Bone podcast contains adult language, mature themes, psychological nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. The opinions expressed here are ours and ours alone. Buckle up. Welcome back to Badge to the Bone. I'm Denny. I'm Al. And we are here for another episode, Al. Yes, let's get on it. Let's do it. Denny, we're back. We are back. You over your crud? No. <clears throat> As you said, I've still got this shit. It won't go away. Mm-hmm. It's Denny and his crud that was the reason that our much anticipated, at least I anticipated it, Halloween episode was delayed. I know. We but, didn't get to get it out at Halloween. Right, too. right. But, you know, since Denny is the technical brains of this operation. Not technical brains. Technical monkey, maybe. <laughs> but uh yeah so you're back are you feeling better i'm feeling better other than i can't get rid of the cough and the congestion and hopefully i won't be hacking like crazy for this but i probably will but well yeah. hell with it whatever Burp. show must go on bourbon will fix that yeah it'll probably knock me out yeah that's good too <laughs> see there i go so we're talking about it making me cough mm-hmm mm-hmm well, I'm, I'm I'm really looking forward to to uh, tonight's episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've been talking about this one amongst ourselves for a while. We have, we have. We've got an awesome guest tonight. Yeah. So you want to tell our listening audience yes. who we have with us tonight? Yeah. So this is uh, another guest that I met at the trauma conference that DCGS does, and while I was there. Uh, met Matt Griffin, who presented at the conference, and Matt is a U.S. Navy veteran. He is was Virginia Beach PD, and it is, I believe I'm pronouncing Keene, New Hampshire PD. He did a lot of undercover. Well, that was pretty much his forte was undercover narcotics work. And I know at one point, it, I think he was assigned to the Attorney General Task Force. So, and I think that's how he got linked up with with Chris. I believe he taught a lot of uh, narcotics-type classes for DCJS. And then, of course, he got tapped to come to the uh, trauma conference. So he wrote a book called The Journey to Midnight. Yeah. And, you know, hearing his story was was awesome. One, he's just awesome in general, and it was just a great presentation. But hearing that story, it really, it's it's like a wow I said to me, I said, he's got to come on the podcast. I, I know when you, you went, and again, unfortunately, I couldn't make it down there, but when you came back, I, he, he was on that very, very short list of absolute must-haves. Oh, yeah, and luckily we so, got to speak for a little bit, so I was like, oh, yeah. I mean, and his, his personality, I'm like, oh, yeah, he's a absolute fit for this clown show. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> but, uh, you know, without any further, I'll, I'll go ahead and introduce our guest here. Well, I introduced him, but I'll welcome our guest, Matt Griffin. Matt, welcome to Badge to the Bone. Yes, Danny. Uh, 
Thank you so much for having me, guys. Looking forward to this. I know we uh, we had to carve out this time. We went back and forth and trying to find a, a date and a time and, and everything else, man. So I, I am so blessed and grateful to be here. And, and, and guys, you guys are awesome, man. So look, looking forward to this. Oh, it is so great to have you, man. Yeah, it is. And it, it's tough to carve out. I know you're busy and you know, life is busy in general, but um, I'm definitely glad that we were blessed to get this moment here. So that's it. That's it. Looking forward to this. But so Matt, um, I mean, I gave a little bit of info and I, I think I got everything sure. right, but that's probably just scratching the surface of your, you know, your career and your tenure and stuff, but you know, give us a little bit of background about uh, your career. Yeah, man. So, so, I mean, you, you, uh, you hit the nail on the head. So, um, retired from law enforcement in 2017 and, um, you know, my career, just like you said, was really kind of revolved around narcotics. Um, and, and so when I left law enforcement, there's, you know, we, we could talk for a long time about how I left for law enforcement. Those are some things that are, that are in the book and, and everything else. But, uh, I, uh, I, I made a promise, uh, to myself and to, you know, um, my former partner and, and, you know, one of my best friends, Brian, who, who, who isn't with us anymore. And I said, if, if, no matter what, every time I train law enforcement, I'll end with a story about us. And, and so, you know, and that's been true to this day. So for, for the last almost, uh, just over six years, whether it was an eight hour presentation, whether it was a four hour, uh, webinar, no matter what it was, I always end with a story about, about, you know, law enforcement suicide and mental health and resiliency. And, and that's how I met, I met Chris. He, um, Happened to happen to sit in the uh, in the audience of one of my fighting fentanyl presentations or or basic narcotics or something like that and uh, you know and and and, uh, and he said Matt I got to have you at the at the trauma conference and uh, so so it was just a perfect perfect fit and uh, yeah outstanding um, <clears throat> now when you're talking about law enforcement suicide mm-hmm. so obviously your your presentation and your book talks about struggles you have yeah. or have had. Um, and again, a pretty tremendous story. But give us some uh, give us some information on that. Talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, man. So, um, you know, it's funny, man. Like for most of my career, like you know, and again, I was a search and rescue swimmer in the Navy, and you know, so I was always been in good shape. I was a you know, I got I got the scholarship to go to a prestigious private high school in Northern New Jersey called Morristown Beard. And, and really like super blessed to have that opportunity, you know, big sports guy and everything else and played lacrosse and, and football and went into the Navy and wound up being a, a search and rescue swimmer. And so just from, from, you know, you're always kind of taught, you know, that, that alpha male type of persona and where, you know, that kind of transitioned into, into Virginia beach police department. And, you know, after FTO phase, um, you know, my first day on my own, uh, I was I was working Shore Drive, which is like what, what they call 3:30 zone, and and I remember midday I got I got a call for a uh, 21 year old kid who had committed suicide, and at that time in Virginia Beach we had to make sure that there was nothing suspicious about the body, right? So so I get to the scene, and again I'm 23, 24 years old, I'm in great shape, and and uh, you know you you guys remember that day like the, like the first time that you drive by yourself, you know there's, there's nobody sitting next to you, you don't have to ask anybody to go take take a shit, or, am I allowed to curse? You know, yeah, (laughs) yeah. So like, you don't have to ask anybody to go take a shit. You don't have to ask, you know, like you can just make the right turn without your blinker on and not like have it affect your DOR. And so like, it was just that, that day, you know? Um, and, and midday the, the, the call came out to head down to shore drive for this 21 year old kid that committed suicide. And, and I'll, I'll never forget it. And, 
I get there, I was on the second floor, and I go up there, and the kid had stripped down, the 21-year-old kid had had stripped down naked, and he had hung himself. Uh, I'm sorry, he had shot himself, Uh, I apologize, Um, and he had shot himself, and so underneath him, like we had to move the body around to make sure that there was nothing suspicious about it, and so I moved the body around, and I see the edge of what looked like a suicide note, and as I'm looking at the suicide note, I realize that the blood from his suicide had wiped away everything that he had tried to say on the suicide note, right? And so I, I remember how that just sat with me. And I get done with my shift for the day and I go home that night and I'm talking to my, my wife at the time, my boy's mother. And she's like, how's your first day on your own? I'm like, it was, it was pretty good. It was, it was, you know, pretty uneventful except for this one call. And I told her about it. And, it, you know, in that night, like, I didn't have nightmares or anything like, but like, it just bothered me. I'm like, what did this kid want to say to the world before he took his life? And so I wind up just kind of like just marinated on it and, and just thinking about it. And so the next day I go into work and I get into my cruiser and I'm grabbing a coffee and, and I see one of my senior guys out there and I said, mock, like this is like something's bothering me. And he's like, what's up, Griff? I said, that, that suicide yesterday, I said, this kid had written his suicide note and he wanted to say something to the world and, and, you know, the blood, you know, wiped it away. And I said, it just really bothers me. And I me- I'll never forget it. He looked at me and he said, if you're not strong enough to see it, then this isn't the job for you. And oh. he turned to walk and got in his cruiser and drove away. And, uh, and, and yeah, and that was, that was, that was, you know, and again, guys, like I'm a young impressionable i've never been a cop before so I'm, I'm through the academy i'm through the fto phase all i've ever done is like mirror what i thought was good law enforcement what good training was you know and i and i latched on to people who i thought were were solid great cops and and this is a guy that i thought was a solid great cop and so i said to myself okay i guess that's how we're supposed to act mm. and so you know and 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 again, like, so, you know, now we fast forward a, a couple years and I'm going to get in kind of, you know, into, into, into the baby, but you know, and this is, this is, this is what hurt. Um, so I take that mentality and I move forward and, and you guys know as well as I do when, when, when things build up and, and you just keep thinking about it and you, you don't release it, right. You wind up coping and whatever that coping mechanism is, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whether it's gym, whether it's, you know, whatever it is, like the coping method is going to fail at some point. And so you know, fast forward a couple of years and, um, you know, it's, it's Christmas Eve of 2004 going into 2005 and I'm driving on, on Hampshire drive, which is in the third precinct of Virginia beach. And on the right side of, of the road, I see my buddy Ben and his son playing in the front yard. And so I'm ecstatic, right? So like I pull over, I'm like, yo, what's up, man? How's it going? Everything's good. You know, he's like, you're a cop now. I said, yeah. And uh, so he got stationed at Norfolk. He's at the Norfolk Devil Station. He's like, hey, meet meet Benny Jr., my two and a half year old. He's like, matter of fact, come inside. I want you to meet Brittany. So we go inside. I meet Brittany. We talk. We we connect for a little bit. He goes, what are, what are you doing tomorrow for Christmas? I said, man, I got to work. I'm the I'm a young badge. I'm I'm brand new out here. And and, uh, and he said, well, why don't you come by and get you a plate? I said, yeah, I'll definitely do that. And so I did. And I remember it like it was yesterday. And I remember, you know, meeting everybody, but most of all, I remember little Benny Jr. in, in, in their kitchen, he was up on the step stool and he's cutting up Christmas cookies. And he looked at me with my badge and, and my gun. He's like, Mr. Griffin or, or, or Mr. Matter, are you a police officer? And I said, yeah. And I remember him saying, he goes, that's so cool. And, uh, you know, I always, I always take that with me. And, and so, you know, that, that was just a great day. And, and so, 
we go into New Year's Eve, and again, as a younger badge, I'm, you know, I think I'm 26 years old at this time, 25, 26 years old, and and I'm, I'm in the same area, the same neighborhood, and I'm writing down license plates for the stash house, and it's New Year's Eve, and I remember thinking to myself, all right, let me just get this get this done because we're gonna go out tonight, we're gonna chop things up, we're gonna go to the, go to the club, we're gonna have a blast. I'm, I'm really excited. I'm still a young guy. I got you know a bunch of guys we're going out with, and right around 4:30, the call comes out, and in Virginia Beach, it was like the the tones. Right, so you knew it was a code two call. You knew it was a hot call because I heard the tones come out. Doo 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 doo. Units three twenty five, units three twenty six, respond to seven sixty seven Hampshire Lane, two and a half year old code gray. And you know, Danny, I remember sitting in my car and and thinking to myself, man, that's a really shitty call for New Year's Eve. Code two and a half code gray means unconscious, not breathing. And obviously, a two and a half year old is a young young boy. And I remember sitting there for 10, 15 seconds, like, damn, that's a really shitty. Shitty call for New Year's Eve. 20 seconds goes by. 30 seconds goes by. And like a Mack truck, it hit me. Shit. 767 Hampshire Lane. That's Benny Jr. That two and a half year old is Benny Jr. And so I dropped the car in a drive and I drove up on the front lawn. I go running inside and Brittany's pointing at the room. And I go running in there. And so Brittany had taken the six month old and went into the bathroom to take a shower and she put on Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory for Benny Jr. And, and just being the little monkey that he is, he loves to climb. She's two and a half. And he climbs up on the windowsill and he used the blind cord to swing and try to swing from the, the windowsill to the dresser. And the blind cord caught him around the neck. And as I, as I, I brought him down, I started CPR. And, and uh, you know, I remember just praying like, like this can't happen. This can't happen. This is this can't happen. And all of a sudden I got I got what I what I thought was a breath. And I remember the hope in my in my you know in my heart. I'm like, okay, we got him back. And I knew that I had I had EMS coming. I knew, you know, I had the cavalry coming and everything else. And so that turned out to be his last breath. And I remember looking up, so it was so EMS shows up and and as they come in to take over of CPR, I remember looking up. And I remember seeing the scratch marks on the wall. And when I tell you, dude, like, I'll never forget those scratch marks as long as I live. And how bad that hurt me. And how bad that... And, and, and to hear Brittany scream and save my firecracker, save my firecracker, right? Like, because Benny Jr. was born on the 4th of July. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, and, and I ate that, man. I ate that for a long time. And, and you know, and I'll, I'll tell you guys, it... it you know, I didn't tell anybody, you know, like, like, how do you tell somebody that I sat in my car for 30 seconds and waited? Why didn't I just fucking go to the call? Why didn't I just answer the call? Why, what, you know, and, and I still to this day, like, there's nobody on this side of the earth that can tell me that I couldn't have saved his life if I responded, you know, and that's a choice that I made that day. And it's something I'll always regret. And I know when I hopefully get upstairs and I, I know that, you know, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta pay for that, that decision I made. And, you know, but I couldn't tell anybody about it, man. And, and I had nightmares for, for years and, and I refused to get help because just like, just like my boy said, if you're not strong enough to see it, then it's not the job for you. And, you know, so that's, that's a little bit about how I got to, you know, to New Hampshire. And, and again, you know, 
what happens to us as cops is especially like alpha males and alpha females what happens is once you once you once you get hit with this trauma we just keep digging holes and we just keep getting stuck in it to the point where like we don't know anything other than other than to run and you know when i got the out when when my wife at the time was like hey let's move up to new hampshire let's start fresh let's start you know this that and the other i'm like let's do it um and you know but the fact of the matter is the trauma doesn't go away you can change your house, you can change your town, you can change your uniform, but the trauma is still in your heart. And, uh, you know, so, so uh, I'm, I'm over here vomiting at the mouth, man. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but, uh, no, not, not at all. Um, no, you, I, I remember you telling that story at the conference and yeah, it just, it just left me speechless. I mean, I, this is exactly how I feel. That's, that's just, it's just, that's tough. I mean, I, I don't have the words for that. You know, I can't imagine, you know, for all the different trauma, but that one's, that one's. Man, I ate it. I just ate yeah. it so bad. Okay. Right. And, and and I had, I couldn't, I couldn't say anything to anybody. You know, I couldn't say anything to my, to my wife at the time. I couldn't say like, how do you say that you're responsible for a two and a half year old to die? And, and you know, it just eats you from the inside out. And, you know, when, when, when you, the only way to describe it is it just, it just rotted me from the inside out. It affected my life in, in every, every possible way. And so I just felt like I was responsible for it. And, um, you know, and I, I didn't know, you know, we, we were not given any tools to, to combat this. Like we're not given any tools to say, Hey, this is what you need to do. If you're stuck in trauma, you know, trauma was, was a word that weak people used and, and suicide was a word that, that, you know, weak people used. And, you know, here I am in my head having these thoughts and, and having these feelings and, and going through, you know, the, the, the daily grind and, and, you know, putting on the happy face and a smile and putting on my, my, my uniform and, and rolling out and trying to do a good job, but coming home at night and just, and just, and just crying and, and, and not sleeping and waking up in a cold sweat. Like I should have fucking responded. Like, why didn't I respond? Um, you know, there's, when you're stuck inside your own head, you just start making bad decisions and bad choices. And, and, you know, just, just like I said, you know, those coping mechanisms that we, we start to drink too much. We start to work out too much. We start to do whatever, whatever it is that we can do to take our mind off of, you know, the trauma. And, it, and I'm not alone. Y'all know that as I mean, absolutely every yeah. single one of us, man, the, the, like I was saying at the conference, the average human being sees two to three critical incidents in a lifetime, but the average cop in a 25 year career, sees 400 to 500 and nobody wants to talk about this shit, man. And that's the problem. We're losing cops left and right. And, you know, it just breaks my heart, man. And that's, it's hopefully we can, we can, we can do something. And yeah, I mean, that's why we do this. And, you know, that's why we bring you on and, I think, you know, your story and your book and you talking about that, I think hopefully that gets through the folks yeah. that they need to talk about this stuff because that's a tough burden to carry. I mean, and I've, I've been there and, and the bad coping mechanisms, um, it's just so easy to fall into those coping mechanisms and take it to the excess. And, you know, there's nothing else that, that really fills that and then you're the next thing you know you're in a darker place than you can imagine yep 
Because you just keep digging the hole deeper. You know what I yeah, mean? And like and that's yeah. the problem. Like we get stuck in some trauma and we wind up we wind up not even know which way is up after a certain amount of time because we're stuck in that trauma. Next thing you know, we're not showing up to court. Next thing you know, we're not paying our bills. Next thing you know, we're drinking too much. Next thing you know, we're having an extramarital affair. Next thing you know, we're 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 arguing with some with some citizen about some stupid shit that doesn't matter. Next thing you know, they chest up on you, you wind up punching them. It's on a it's on a cell phone cam. And next thing you know, you're going to fucking jail. You know, that's it right there. Absolutely. That's and that's it's it. just a problem, you know, and the, and the, and the, the root of the problem is the unaddressed trauma. And I, I, I swear by it and we got to do a better job, man. And, and, you know, to the day I die, I'm, I'm, I'm going to preach mental health and resiliency, you know, for law enforcement, because I don't want anybody else to go through what my partner went through and, you know, and, um, yeah, man, I just, I, I it, it just break, it breaks my heart. So. And in there had to have been somebody in in your life, your wife at the time, that you know gave you that that reason and logic of that thirty seconds is not on you. The death of that child is not on you. But at the same time, I understand that not reaching you, yeah, or any of us in that state. I'll be honest. I didn't. I didn't tell anybody for for a long, long time. Really, uh, and so you know, um, you know, my my boy's mother and I we were married for fifteen years, and and you know we got divorced, and she didn't she didn't know any of that, and she knew about the baby dying, she knew about the nightmares, and you know, cause she cause I had I had the flyer from the wake on my on my nightstand. I still have it to this day. I had it forever, and so, um, you know, so she knew that the trauma was there, but you know, I never she she read it in the book. And, uh, we, we had been divorced for five years at the time and, and I'll never forget it. I was sitting in, uh, I was sitting in my, in the church parking lot and I dropped my son off to, to youth group and I got a text. This is three days after. So this is like November, like 25th, like three days after Thanksgiving, two years ago. And I just hit the publish button on the book, like, you know, three days prior. And, and I get a text message from her saying, I read your book, period. <laughs> and, you know, I'm like, and uh, you know, cause we really weren't like on talking terms, you know, we would text about the children and things like that. And, and she said, I, I never knew half of this stuff. And, you know, and I, and I said, yeah, I said, well, we didn't, those were conversations that we weren't allowed to have. And she knew that I had a dangerous job. She knew that, you know, I mean, I cornrows my hair, full sleeve of tattoos. I'm running with some bad dudes every day. And, you know, she married a guy that's high and tight. She married a Navy guy without facial hair, you know, and, and I don't know that guy anymore. And that, that guy doesn't exist. That guy, that guy didn't see all the things that I saw. And, and it got to a point where, where, you know, those, all those, those different things. And I always say, I take full responsibility for my divorce because I, I, I changed. And I thought, I thought CJ Davis was better and cooler and, and, you know, have more value than Matt Griffin was and, or did. And, you know, I, I can't count the number of times that I would get to, you know, we, we'd have date nights set up. We had a babysitter. I get halfway home and somebody call me and need me for a play. And, and, you know, and I call her, I said, send the babysitter home. I, I got to go to work, right? The fentanyl epidemic is hitting people are dying left and right. Somebody's got to go do this. And, you know, I tell the story all the time. I was sitting in a lap and lager bar, um, which is probably where I'm going tonight after, Oh, you know, this watch a little Monday night football, <laughs> but, uh, uh, I was sitting at the far side of the Latin Lager Bar, and it was like 5, 5.30 on a Friday afternoon, and, and I, all I wanted was, like, it was a long week, like, we, we we had hit a paper early in the week, and, and, you know, like, everybody was talking about how cool, like, the undercover world is, but you have, like, 10 minutes of fun 
for like a week's worth of paperwork, right? And so like we hit the search warrant like 2 a.m. We got shit tons of dope and money. And then the 10 minutes is over. And now being the case officer on it, man, I'm stuck with all the paperwork from it, uh, the, you know, all that shit, man. And and so I was done for the week. Paperwork is done. The seven-day letters in. The, the return's done. And all I wanted was like a burger and a beer before I went home. And and uh, and a door to the lapping locker pops open. And you know that feeling like where you know somebody's looking at you? And so like I, I like I glanced his way. And a dude starts beelining over towards me. And, and I couldn't, I didn't know if he, you know, at that point was a threat or, you know, if he was going to come dat me up or whatever. And comes over, he's like, you're Detective Griffin, right? So, yep. He goes, you're that undercover cop. So, yep. He says, uh, the fuck are you doing? I said, man, what do you, what do you mean? He goes, it's Friday afternoon, Friday evening. Maybe if you're out there going to do your job, my son will still be alive. He overdosed last night. And I, and I just, I remember how that hit me, man. Like, like, you know, like I'm on guard, like ready to chest up on this guy that's cursing at me on a Friday evening in my local bar where I'm taking care of, where I know the owners and everything else. And he's, you know, essentially checks me at, at, at what do you do at that point? And I remember I said, you know what, you're right. And like, that's where the, the switch in my head started to go. And where, where like the means became, you know, the, the, the means start to justify the end and or the end justifies the means or however however that goes and um my family wasn't important at that point it was it was saving people from this fentanyl and this opioid epidemic and you know so i take i take full responsibility but to go back to what we were saying you know i never i never talked to anybody about that you know i had a counselor and and uh you know but again i couldn't go to the police department to have a counselor i had to go find somebody on my own and i had to beg them not to say shit to anybody because I just needed somebody to talk to, um, you know, and, and thank God they, they, they didn't. Cause, and, and again, so let's rewind for a second. When I'm, when I'm going from Virginia beach up to New Hampshire, right. My background investigator reached out to our, to my marriage counselor and my marriage counselor had dropped a dime on me from something I'd said during that counseling session with my wife. And I'm like, that's, that's fucking bullshit. I said, I said something in, in, a, in a counseling session that can't, yeah. how is that going to be used against me in a background? So I take that same mentality moving forward to the, the, this. Why did he even ask that? Because he, he yeah, this is what's so crazy. So he interviews my wife and she's still my wife at the time. We're moving up. We want to be, you know, complete. And so she says, yeah, we, we, you know, we saw a marriage counselor and, and he asked for the name of the marriage counselor. So we provide it and he calls her, sends the, and, and she dropped a dime on me. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Unbelievable. Um, and so I had to answer questions about what I said during that, during a counseling session that I thought was, was confidential. And so I'm taking that mentality into knowing that, knowing that I'm not sleeping, knowing that I'm irritable, knowing that like my life is upside down, but knowing that I need help, but knowing that I can't ask for help where I work because I can't have my gun taken away. I can't be taken out of the undercover world because that's all I know how to do. And so I go find this lady on downtown main street and I say, listen, can you promise me? That you won't, no matter what, that you won't say anything, but I just need somebody to talk to. And by the grace of God, you know, she said yes. And so, so for those that that maybe are just getting introduced to you and your story now, how long had you been doing the the undercover work up in New Hampshire? Yeah, so, so at that point, um, you know, probably about three years, four years, something like that. Uh, but my entire, most of my career up there was was focused around that. Um, started off on patrol, but again, I had the background from a big city narcotics to come up there. And so, 
you know, New Hampshire is a different animal. <laughs> so, you know, the state models live free or die. And like, they take that shit seriously up to here. So um, like, there's no Carol doctrine. There's no trash poles. There's no, you know, there's a lot of different things that I had to learn to be a better cop. And, you know, so I always, I was always part of the narcotic world, whether it was, you know, patrol narcotics, whether it was assisting the drug task force or whatever it was. And a quick, like four year stint as the SRO. And then from there, right back into narcotics. And, um, you know, that's where I got the full-time play to, to, you know, the, the fentanyl epidemic kind of really hit about a year, year and a half into it. And we just went full, you know, full tilt into, you know, into because New Hampshire and Ohio were kind of the two leading states for, for fentanyl overdoses. And nobody really kind of knew how to attack this and where it came from with the, you know, the opioid epidemic. And, and so we're just getting, we're just getting, we had like, my county had like a 1500% increase in, in overdoses in like a six month period. And, you know, so so was what was the the culture of your agency vis-a-vis uh, -vis mental health because i'm i'm getting the the impression yeah. that it wasn't very good no it wasn't it wasn't yeah. it was a good old boys club so like you know i mean you know and again so like i i didn't grow up here um you know where i'm sitting right now i'm, I'm in my hometown but if and again, like, I don't, I don't fault these guys or anything else, but like, you know, when you come in from a different place, they, they've got to vet you there. You're, you're not there. They're your buddy that you, you played football with. And, and so I've got a big city mentality coming from Virginia beach and growing up outside of New York city. And, and now I'm in a small new England town of, of 35,000 with 30 other cops that all grew up together, that all played football together, that all knew each other, knew each other's wives. And, and, and here I come with the mentality of let's do A, B and C. Um, you know, so it was, it was a rough go. And so, you know, you, you kind of combine that aspect of it. And, and again, I, I built some really close friends, but even now, like I look back and I really kind of keep in contact with maybe, maybe a handful, to be honest. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's, that's a shame. That's a shame because we couldn't, you know, you couldn't go to ask for help. Um, I remember how, like, man, I mean, I remember so many times that like, you know, like I would say something at like, you know, two o'clock in the morning and, and you're just yucking things up back at the station and you're like, man, that's some fucked up shit, man. Like, are you OK? Uh, you need to see somebody like there's there's, you know, EAP and and, uh, and you know, and it's it just like having that shit on. And then I don't know if I told this story at um, at the at the chief at the trauma conference, but I remember it. So in our break room, we had the EAP flyer. Right. And I remember I was struggling. So I, so I went into the break room and I took the EAP flyer and I went out to my car and I, and I called the number and I said, listen, I'm struggling real bad. Um, you know, and this is, this is right around like, you know, everything happening. And, uh, I got put on hold for about 15 minutes, but I had nowhere to go. So I just sat there on hold. And so I, it's just on, you know, it was on speakerphone. And so I'm just, I'm just waiting, listening to the, the shitty little music, whatever. And finally they come back on and they said, man, we have nobody in your area that can talk to you. And I remember how that felt like, so you like, so I don't have anybody to talk to. I said, what if I, you know, and, and thank God at that point, you know, I wasn't suicidal, but imagine if I was at that point and you're telling me that you have nobody that you, that is willing to talk to me. You know, I wanted to say, well, what about you? Do you care? Why, right. You know? Wow. Uh, and and so, you know, the person's response on the other end was like, well, we'll have somebody call you tomorrow. And I wanted to be like, that's that's so shitty. Tomorrow? Yep, tomorrow. I mean, that's just an epic failure, failure. right? I mean, an epic failure. I mean, here you go. We're already struggling with the fact that you feel like you can't talk to anybody. You don't want to talk to anybody. You have all this stigma centered around it and you finally get to a point where it's 
it's boiled up so much where you're like, you know, I've got to talk to somebody and you make that step, you get the number, you call it and you're like, Oh, Hey, yeah, thanks for calling, but sorry. Well, here's the other thing too. If you're doing that much undercover work all the time, intensely, is there nobody within your own agency that is your anchor? Not a one. Yeah, because yeah, for that much of amount of undercover work, somebody who's not just monitoring yeah. all the shit you're bringing in, but is also monitoring you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they would they would have seen the spiral out of control. Yeah, and it, it's and it's know. almost like nobody cared because you were producing. Mm-hmm. The cow was still giving the milk, and but there was no safeguard. Up. Yeah, no, no safeguard put in place. There were no guardrails at all. Yeah. You know, then and then the wheels came off when you know with everything that happened with Brian, and um, you know I don't know if you want me to tell this this, this side of it, but you know this Please. is so 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 yeah. So the wheels start to come off, right? And um, it's it's you know it's um, it's summertime of 2016, and and uh, you know my wife and I separate, and and um, you know, so I'm living in this, this shitty one bedroom apartment and I got my children and I remember going into the break room. I, I tell a story all the time because it was like the lowest of the low. And, and you know, I, I, my, my, uh, my wife at the time had frozen all of our accounts. And so I didn't have any money. And and so I was starving, but I had too much pride to ask anybody for help. And so I didn't want to call someone like, hey, man, I got no money. Can I can I come over for dinner? You know, you just don't do that. And right. Yeah. And so so I go in, I go into the, the 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 police department to take a shower and and I remember going to the break room and I looked around and inside of the refrigerator of the break room there was this like beautiful subway sub and man I looked I looked out again and there was nobody coming and I, I fucking hate that sub man and that was hands down the lowest point of my life when I finished that sub and I put I put the trash in the trash can I felt sick to my stomach I just eaten somebody's fucking sub and I'll never forget that feeling. I don't know if that, that makes sense, but I'll never forget that feeling. Man. And I, I just said to myself, I'm like, you're such a piece of shit. You just ate somebody's fucking sub. And I walked out and, and yeah. And so, so as we start to move forward, right. So now I'm at rock bottom and, and I, and I feel like a piece of shit. And the only person that ever continuously checked on me was my former partner, Brian. And, and Brian became the chief of police of our small town. And, and it just, just an amazing man in a lot of different ways. And, and so he would always send me a, a text, like status check. You, you okay? He'd see me in the hallway and he'd be like, Hey, are you okay? And he meant it. You know what I mean? He, he wasn't just saying, are you okay? He, he wanted to know if I was okay. And like, he would stop and he would, he would look at me and say, are you okay? I need to know if you're all right. And you know, a lot of times I just covered up and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good, Brian. And so, you know, my divorce was finalized on January 5th of 2017. And, and, uh, you know, I didn't have much. And, and again, you guys know when you go, you know, we have details up in the Northeast where you make extra money directing traffic and overtime work. When you go undercover, yep. you lose all that. So right. not only do I have, I have child support and alimony, but I lost all my, all my overtime pay and there's no way for me to make more money. Right. And, and so I'm like, I, I've gotten nothing. I can't afford anything at all. I can't afford to provide for my children. To this day, my kids still love some ramen noodles because that's all we could afford. But um but uh 
And so we start to move forward, right? And I start to get a little bit better. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm, I'm just gonna put my head down. And there's a lot of things that happened inside of this this period. But so March 9th, 2017 would have been my uh, my 15 year wedding anniversary. And you know the day where you know it's just one of those days where you wake up, and I'm sitting in this, I'm laying in this shitty ass bed, and I'm like today just sucks. You're not feeling where you just like today sucks and. Everything you touch is gonna is gonna be shit, and I knew it. So we go to work. I'm like, let's. What do we do as 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 men, as as women, as alpha males, alpha females? We just put our head down and go to work. We just want to be successful at any aspect of our life. Like I'm just so tired of failing at at everything. And so all I wanted to do was be successful. And and we had a prostitution sting going on that day. And I remember saying to myself, like, let me just be successful at one fucking thing today. And and so you know we're briefing up. It's like nine o'clock. And uh, somebody knocks on the door and says, hey, uh, chief wants to see you. I'm like, damn, what the fuck does he want, man? And uh, I said, hey, guys, hang, hang tight. Let me go down and see what Brian wants. So I go down and knock on the door. I'm like, hey, what's up, man? He said, Griff, have a seat. I'm like, when she tells you have a seat, you, you're, you're not sure if this is like, am I having a seat as a friend? Am I having a seat as, as a detective right now? Like, do I need my union rep? Or are we talking about like, you know, drinking beers later? And so um. I'm in self-preservation mode because I'm not sure where he's going. And he had this way about him where he would just kind of look at you and, and he would look at you like one or two, maybe three seconds past what the normal person would. And it would just, would just take you like, it would just, it would just unnerve you. And he said, are you okay? And so I looked back and, and he said, you know what today is right. Referring to what would have been my 15 year wedding anniversary. And I said, yeah, Brian straight. He said, Griff, I'm going to ask you one more time. Are you okay? I said, Brian, I'm straight, man. He said, because if you're not mentally prepared, you're not physically ready. And you got a lot of people out here that are relying on you to, to lead this operation. So you tell me now if you're not okay, and I'll comp you out for the day. And I said, no, I'm good. And I waited an extra, extra couple of seconds. I got up. I'm like, we straight? Yep. You know what I didn't say? How are you? Two hours later, Brian went home and shot and killed himself. Hmm. Oh, no. And I was the last one to talk to him. And I didn't ask him if he was all right. And I and I ate that every day. You know, he had one of the last things that he decided to do was ask me if I was okay. On what would have been my 15-year wedding anniversary. He took the time out of his what he knew was going to be his final day. And sometimes I just think like I wonder if he was just waiting for me to say, hey, Brian, let's I know after this, after this op, let's go out and chop it up, have a cold one. And, and that's when, that's where things just spiraled out of control. Like, I mean, real talk, um, here, here, I'm still dealing with the baby. I'm still dealing with Benny Jr. Um, I haven't got a handle on that yet. And, and now the depression, the trauma, everything just hit so hard. It hit like a Mike Tyson left hook, man. And, and, and I remember sitting in my apartment at 100 Washington street and I was sitting there and all of a sudden it was like a light bulb went off. I'm like, I get it because, because it didn't make sense to me. Right. Everybody from my entire life had been telling me that suicide is weak and suicide is, is, is a, is the weakest thing that anybody did. But like, I couldn't, I couldn't accept that because Brian was the strongest, toughest motherfucker that I've ever met in my life. And then all of a sudden, man, it just clicked. I said, it's not, it's not suicide. It's a sacrifice. 
and the depression, the trauma started to change my brain and, and, and it changed the way I thought about it. And I'm like, you know what? It's not suicide. It's a sacrifice. And my whole life has been a sacrifice, just like Brian's life has been a sacrifice. And now this is the next stage of what my sacrifice is between the Navy, between the police department, between, between owning all these different things and, and, you know, giving up my marriage, giving up, you know, the ability to go to certain like football games for my children and, and date night and everything else. This is the next stage. This is the next part of my sacrifice. And, and I, I, I decided on March 17th that I was, that I was done. I was going to, I was going to. I was going to end my life. And man, I, I'll tell you, um, I remember that day so, so vividly. And, and it's funny because the, I kept thinking, who's going to find my body? And I know that sounds so crazy to say, but like, I just, I just kept thinking, which, which person, which, which cop is going to find my body? And, you know, and, and, yeah, I wrote my suicide note. Um, you know, I, I I keep my suicide note on my phone, and and you know, obviously I have it in my head. But you know, and I, I I think about it a lot, and I think about how you know how I've gotten to this to where I am today, and you know, and I mean, it's, you know, so the journey to midnight, the 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 book that I wrote is I was going to commit suicide at on midnight of March 17th, 2017. And so, so there's something that, that just felt right about those zeros on the clock. And so, you know, d- during the day, like I, I, I remember just kind of like the, the, I know it sounds shitty to say, but just kind of the release, like I'm done. Like, I don't have to think about it anymore. I don't have to try and figure this out anymore. I don't have to be a piece of shit anymore. I don't, to be honest with you, I don't have to fail anymore. I don't, my kids don't have to watch me fail anymore. And, and, you know, so, you know, I was making the, the preparations and, you know, I wound up sat, sitting in my, I had a Yukon and uh, I wound up sitting in the car for a while and I started listening to the music of my life. So uh, there's so there's certain songs that like remind me of like my life. And so I started listening to them, like, you know, like Tracy Chapman, like, you know, Fast Car from like high school and like, you know, like all these different songs that just like came, came back and, and like, you know, growing up, my parents used to listen to Simon and Garfunkel. And so they would listen to it over and fucking over again on the way to vacation. And so like the boxer, it's like the only fucking song that I liked. I'm like, can we just play that one song? Cause the rest of these songs fucking suck. Like I don't give a shit about some like, like stream and everything else. But, and so I started listening to the songs that like reminded me of my life. And, and, uh, and so I had my gun on my on on the center console. My note was right there, and, and my phone was on Do Not Disturb. And it's about 11, 10, 11, 15, something like that. And uh, and and all of a sudden my phone rings, and it scared the shit out of me. I I had my phone on Do Not Disturb, and so I, what I didn't know in two thousand seventeen is that if you call twice inside of a minute, it breaks through the Do Not Disturb. And it scared the ever living shit out of me because my my best friend had called. And obviously it didn't go through, but he was like, shit, I need to, let me just leave a voicemail. And so he calls back inside of a minute and it breaks through and just out of, out of, like out of terror because of the, I didn't know if the gun went off. Like it was just, I was in that vibe where you're just kind of vegging out and just listening to your music and everything else and ready to do what I was going to get ready to do. And the phone rings and I, it was some rap music that I, I had on my phone from the, you know, the ghetto undercover days. And, and, uh, and so I pick it up and, and my buddy says, Griff, yeah. Said, hey man, what, what are you, what are you doing? So nothing, man, just, just hanging out. He's like, why don't, why don't you come over and have a beer? And uh, it was my buddy, Ben. And I said, nah, not, not tonight, Ben. Maybe maybe tomorrow. I said, I got something I got to take care of tonight. And uh, I said, yeah, let, let me give you a ring tomorrow, brother. And he said, 
Griff, before you go, I want to tell you two things. And now what you have to understand about Ben is that, you know, Ben's the type of dude that if you hug him, he tenses up. Right? <laughs> he doesn't, he, like, he's not that dude that, like, I'm a feelings person. Like, I'll, I'll tell you that I love you. I'll tell you that, like, well, we'll sit down and we'll cry together. I have no problem. I'll also, you know, have no problem going outside and fighting with people. And But, like, Ben's not that dude. He doesn't, he's not emotional. He, And so he goes, Griff, let me, let me tell you two things. So the first thing I want to tell you is that I love you. And I remember how that hit me. And it was, you know, stopping the tracks. Cause I'm like, his last name is Nugent. And I said, Nuge. And he goes, hold on. And he goes, number two, I want to tell you that there's light at the end of the tunnel. And as you're going through what you're going through, Griff, I want you to know that I'm here for you. And it's, and it stopped me in my tracks. And I remember, I remember thinking to myself like, all right. And at about 11, 15, 11, 17, that, I made the best decision of my life. And for anybody listening, here's the best decision that I've ever made in my life. If today's a good day to die, so is tomorrow. And if you're, you know, I'm not trying to preach to anybody, but if you're feeling like I was feeling, just know that tomorrow's just as good a day as today and keep pushing it off. So I went over there and I had a beer with Ben and on March 18th, I made the same decision. Today's a good day to die, so is tomorrow. And I did that for almost three months, four months. Every day I said the same thing. And I finally changed that mantra to today I'm going to do something good. Uh, and, and it started off like I was going to do something good for myself. I was going to wake up and do some, you know, go to the gym or read a book or, or figure out what the next phase of my life was going to be. Right. And so, like, I always like I kind of joke about it because I would get to the bed at night and and I would lay there. And I'm like, man, I didn't do anything good for myself today. And I would, I, I'd be in my underwear and I'd roll out of bed. And I would rep out like 50 push-ups and then get back in bed. And that was my good thing that I did for myself. And I've, I shit you not, Denny, Al, I've done that every single day since March 17, 2017. I've done something good for myself or somebody else. And I started over the last really kind of like year to two years to make sure that that's for somebody else. And the, the satisfaction and gratitude that I've gotten personally from that has changed my life. Um, you know, I, and, and again, I... You know, I can I can give you a perfect example today. So my neighbor who was walking down the street, I haven't I haven't seen him for a while, and I saw the uh, the uh, the like the the nurse, like you know, like the traveling nurse that was at in their driveway, and he was a former cop too, and so he's walking down the street right in front of my house, and uh, and I said to my son, I said, hey, when when Randy walks back by, let me know, and he goes, there's Randy, and so I went outside and I said, hey man, I just want to let you know that I'm praying for you, brother. I, I don't know what's going on. You don't have to tell me, but I want you to know that, that, uh, you know, that I care about you and, and um, there's anything I can do for you. Let me know. I know I travel a little bit, but you know, if you need something, you let me know. And he started telling me everything that's going on with him, And we had a great talk. And, but that's the things that that's what I mean. I wouldn't ever have done that before. And, um, you know, that's meant, meant all the difference for me. And that's, that's what the journey of midnight's about is, is, is coming through the other side and, you know, so I don't know if that, that makes any sense, but um, it makes makes absolute sense. sense. Uh, yeah. I remember when you talked about that at the conference. That did stick with me when you talked about that. If you know today's yeah. a good day to die, then tomorrow is too. That if you can hold out, hold out for tomorrow. Yeah. And then once tomorrow, hold out for tomorrow. Yeah. And just you're extending it just a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, that really resonated with me. I, I'm sure that did with many others, but. I mean, I think that's a huge takeaway yeah. is, um, we don't, you don't have to think about what's going on, you know, for the next six months or for the rest of this year, let's just go to tomorrow. 
And you know, it's so interesting, man, where I got that. And, and if y'all get a chance to read the book, where I got that from was from, um, excuse me, from search and rescue. And so the, the funny story behind is I was a sonar tech. I went out to San Diego to become a sonar tech and, and listen to, to submarines and just, you know, had this happy little, like, you know, Navy career, man. And just, you know, every port have a lot of fun. We'll just say, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm about, a, I'm about a year and a half into that. And the ops lieutenant looks at me and my buddy Adam and was like, hey, uh, you guys are in good shape, huh? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, you, you, can you both swim? And we're both surfers. I said, yep. Uh, he said, well, I need search and rescue swimmers. I thought this shit was a collateral duty. I thought it was like something that like you do on the side, right? I had no idea that I was getting ready to go to six or like the, the six weeks of like pure fucking hell. Like those are some evil motherfuckers. Like to this day, like if I see one of my instructors, like I'd probably punch him in the face. Uh, they're just some evil fucking people, man. They, they, I, I think they're the spawn of Satan. Like whatever they, they're crazy. Um, and so long story short, man, all these people are dropping out. All these people are ringing the bell. And the first week, the base bar, like everybody knows hump day and like hump day is Wednesday. And so, but the base bar stayed open until two o'clock in the morning on hump day. And so Adam and I, my, my best friend, um, we decide that we go have a picture of Budweiser. And so, you know, in the Navy, Budweiser stands for because you deserve what every individual should enjoy regularly. And <laughs> so, like, that's what was going through our head, man. So, like, we would go through our day and we were like, yeah, because you deserve, you can scream at me all you want, but I'm just reciting Budweiser in my head because no matter what happens today, right, I know that Adam and I are going to split a Budweiser tonight, no matter what, because you're not going to keep us until two o'clock in the morning. Right. You're going to let us get maybe seven o'clock and maybe 10 o'clock, but we're going to split a split a picture of Budweiser. And so I didn't make it through search and rescue by looking at it at six weeks. I said, I just need to make it through to today because tonight we're having a picture of Budweiser. And and I've taken that mentality in so many aspects of my life. And, and you know, again, like, you know, there, there's days that suck, but just make it through today. And tomorrow's a brand new opportunity to 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 go out and crush it and punch the world in the face and to to prove all these assholes wrong that told me that I can never do anything else besides be a cop. And and every day I wake up with that mentality that, you know, that that I'm gonna keep pushing hard and and no matter how bad today could be, there's still tomorrow. Tomorrow's a new opportunity. So Yeah, that's that's awesome. I mean, it really is. It it's it's yeah it's just so positive <laughs> I, I mean i what else can i say i, I yeah. mean it wow i i'm i'm processing a lot of the yeah. last hour that, that we've been talking when did you make that decision that okay the job the job's done and Oh, I'm moving on, and then, yeah, we, and then we did then, like multiple episodes because <laughs> because that that is, you know, I look back at that time, I thought this is, you know, how how much worse could my life get, right? Like I'm trying to turn myself around, I'm trying to do all this stuff, and so there's a lot of things, and I'm gonna give you the quick story, but we should probably have a whole other episode for this. But we can uh, do that. We can we, so, we can make that happen. So one of the most empowering things that I've ever done was leave the police department. Mm -hmm. um, I'll give you the short version, and and if we want to we want to dive into this another time, we can definitely do that. But um, so I, I was targeted, and when I say that, like, so I was no longer part of the Good Old Boys Club after Brian passed away. Um, I wasn't part of the Good Old Boys Club, um, and because Brian always had my back, 
And, and now I don't have anybody that's got, that's, that's, that's standing up for me. And so I got pulled out of the undercover world. I got put on midnight patrol. I got fucked with, uh, I got put on an internal, uh, I got put on my second internal. And so I, I, again, one of my decisions that I had made was to create a class about fighting fentanyl and nobody in the Northeast had any idea about fentanyl. So long story short, guys, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm going to tie this up. So I, I put a lot of work into trying creating this great curriculum. It was a two-day class. I was charging about, I think, three seventy-five for the two-day class. And, my, and, and this class was going to be in Hampton, New Hampshire. They had a maximum of 50 people, right? And now, now, mind you, right, like I don't have a pot to piss in. Like I got alimony. I got child support. I got, I got no, you know, a lot of shit's shaken up. And uh, I, got, I got lawyer fees, I, like all this stuff. And so I had fit, I sold it out, right? Do those quick numbers. It's like 11 grand that I was going to make from this two days. I put my leave request in. I done, I did everything right. I marketed it. I had a website and the chief comes down on Friday. It was a Monday. It was, I can November 6th and 7th, 2017. And, and, uh, the chief comes down on Friday and says, Hey, I'm canceling your leave for Monday and Tuesday. I said, chief, you can't do that. I said, I got a class. And he said, I'm canceling. I said, why are you canceling? He said, you, you have court. On, on Monday, I said, I don't have court. I said, I've got no, you know, you're supposed to get a subpoena. I never got a subpoena. And, and so anyway, we go back and forth. I said, I'm not going to be here. I said, I'm telling you right now, I'm not going to be here. He goes, we'll deal with that on Wednesday. And so I go out, I do my class and I, and I crushed it and, and I made that money. And, and I remember on Tuesday night, I, uh, I had a conversation, man, I'm, this is going to get me. I'm going to try I'm going to try not, I'm going to try to get through this one without, yeah. without choking up. So I remember on Tuesday night, I had my, uh, my son, my 18 year old son, who's down at Florida Tech right now, he's, I think he was maybe 12 at the time and super mature because he went through this whole divorce with, you know, being the oldest one in my family. I said to him, I said, buddy, I said, are you okay if daddy's not a cop anymore? And, and guys, I can't make this up. He looks me dead in the eye at 12 years old and goes, daddy, I just want you to be happy again. And I said, I'm fucking A. Mm. And, mm. and it, I said, okay, pal. And then, so, the next morning, I said, if I get called down to the office and I get fucked with, I'm done. And and I prayed about it. And I, and I sat there and I said, God, I said, just just give me the strength to do it if I'm going to do it. And I didn't have a plan. I didn't have a job. I didn't have anything else. I, but again, at the end of the day, like, I already been at rock bottom. So who really gives a shit? So I, I uh, so I get down to my, my little cubicle and, and, and right as rain, here comes that phone call at nine o'clock. Hey, uh, chief needs you down in the conference room. I knew it. I said, here we go. And so I remember walking down there. And I took every step and I said, God, just give me the strength, man. And and I need you to be with me on this one. And I get down the conference room and I open the door and there's the captains and the, and the chief sitting there. And, and I don't know if anybody that's listened has been under an internal before, but they, uh, they, they got to do like the Garrity rights and everything else. They got to put you, you know, they yeah. got to formally inform you that there's an internal investigation. So the chief said, detective Griffin, I just want to form. I says, chief stop. And so I ran through a list of accolades since the time that I started at, in in the police department and all the things that i'd done and, and everything else and i and the last question i asked him i said hey i said chief how many um how many openings do we have right now at the police department he said i, I think we have seven i reached in my pocket i pulled out my two-week notice i put it on the table and i said now you have eight and i walked the fuck out of the police department good for <laughs> you yeah good for you <laughs> it was the scariest most empowering day of my life um, I sat in my Yukon, the same Yukon, and and, uh, and I said, "Well, shit. Well, well now, well, now, what am I going to do?" You know. But I remember just I sat I sat in in the police department parking lot after just resigning, 
for probably damn near an hour and a half. And, and I said, now it's time. And, and, uh, I just decided that I was going to build my life back up and, and, you know, nobody was going to define me again. And I was going to, I was going to figure out how I was going to lead this, lead my life. And I wanted to do it for my children. And so, man, see, this is, this is why people have to hear your story. Cause there's so many officers out there now, first responders that are going through something, mm-hmm. going through tons and feeling the same. I can't talk to anybody. They're embarrassed to talk to anybody. Yep. And I think by hearing these stories, it helps them be, become comfortable with, okay, you know, I, I can talk to somebody or I should talk, or at least if you can just talk to one person and, and start there. Man, because they'd be so surprised. And if, and if you're listening, mm-hmm. you'd be so surprised how many people are thinking just like you are. Oh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Griff, I got I to gotta tell you, this, we, we've been at this for a minute or two. Yeah. Um, on this podcast. And I mean, <laughs> if, if people could see Denny and I, I think we were just kind of like bobbleheads for the last hour. I mean, this is really one, uh, and we, we've been blessed with some great guests with some really powerful stories, but this is really one of the, the most powerful. Man, I appreciate I've that brother. It's just uh, from my heart. It's, it's genuine, you know? And, but to, just to, to see where you are now and, and the positivity that, that you clearly have, um, that to me is, is very empowering. And I appreciate it. I really do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, hearing to be in that spot, like you say, where you're rock bottom mm-hmm. and to be able to make that, that turn, to turn that corner. It's, it, and then like I said, and then to progress to where you are now, is just tremendous. But I mean, that phone call, getting that phone call at that time, I mean, how those things fell into place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't help but think that there's there's something there. That Gotta that be. God, God reached Without out somehow. 100%. And, and I say every day I live, I live on borrowed time. And, you know, it, it's interesting that he like it out. So, you know, I would, I, I've done some of these keynotes about the book and everything else. And like, here's one of the like the epiphanies that I've that I've had people would line up after the show, you know, or after the keynote and to buy the book. And I really thought that they wanted to read the book. You know, I, 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 you know, maybe they do, maybe they don't, but you know what they really wanted to do, man. They just wanted to talk. They just, they just wanted to say, Griff, I'm struggling too, brother. And this is why like people like, like Danny, if you remember, like people were lined up afterwards oh, yeah. and that's a trauma conference. And they, all they just wanted to do is just to just tell their story. And we would sit there for hours after these after these conferences and just and just chop things up and listen I was to worried I was gonna have to order your book. I didn't think I was gonna be able to get one. I'm like, oh shit, I'm not gonna get a book. I didn't get in line soon enough. I'm like, yeah. I gotta knock somebody out this line here. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, and I think hope 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 is a powerful a powerful tool. You know, and when 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 we empower with hope that that tomorrow's a, a better day and that next week is gonna be a better week and you know, it's just such a it's it's such a driving force, and I think the more that we can provide hope to people that listen to this, that if you're going through some struggles, man, just just know that today's today's trauma is tomorrow's treasure. Like you will triumph, I promise you. If you push it off a day or a week or a month or a minute, you will triumph. 
over that trauma. I, I, I promise you, you have my word on it. Um, because that inside that inside that trauma is treasure. Um, yeah, that is so true. Yeah. So true. Yeah. yeah I, I think everybody needs to take that and really take that to heart. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why we love having folks on and well, I was so glad to get you on because I knew, you know, I, I didn't tell Al anything really. <laughs> I really didn't. I, I, I gave him a little bit. Um, talked about the, the, the book briefly. Yeah. I know we didn't give him any, and any, any of it. I wanted him to hear it. And in full disclosure, you know, from you, full disclosure, I bought your book. Okay. Um, and um, I, I've, only scratch the surface of it. He's still trying yeah. to learn how to read, so it's taking a little bit longer to get yeah, to the page. There's only like one or two pictures in there, Al, so it may... It may oh, it may. well. <laughs> Are there pages I can color? Um, but, but you know, sometimes I like to go into these conversations fairly cold yeah. um, and, and, and kind of hear it, in, in your case, just directly <laughs> from you. And, and it's, it's, but really, I'm telling you, man, one of the, <laughs> one of the most it, powerful stories I, I, I've heard and, and, but I, I'm just, I'm really just kind of taken with just how positive you are. And, and yeah, and, yeah your, and your presentation at the conference was just, was just fantastic. Um, Thank you. The, the, the way you presented it, cause it is a tough topic and I yep. know it's not easy for you to talk about um and i know you know you have to talk about difficult things but and it is got some darkness to it but you really did a great job of presenting it and that's what really got me and and i wanted to out of here it go cold cuz i know me sitting there i'm like oh my god i knew what you were going to i, I knew the stories yeah. and I, I remember hearing it the first time and and just going oh my gosh um wow and yeah it, it just hits you like a ton of bricks but uh, but the way you did it you you're you, you've got a a fun personality. It was, it was, you, you made a, a tough topic still, you know, ha, have some engagement from everybody. So it was just, it was just awesome. Yeah, man. And it's great having you on here. Yeah. I, I appreciate it, man. I really, I really do. Um, yeah, man, it, it's been such a blessing and, you know, um, and I, and I think it's, it's so cool. And I, I'm not sure if I, if I was telling you this or not, but, um, you know, I'm not even sure if I said this at the the trauma conference, but it was selected for PBS's Hiding in Plain Sight, um, and so we're we're I'm so ble- like unbelievably blessed. So um, the Ua brothers and Ken Burns have a series on PBS called called Hiding in Plain Sight, and season one was all about youth mental illness, and uh, the Journey to Midnight was selected for season two. Um, and oh, that's season, awesome. Yeah, season two is all about first responders, um, and you know, military and veterans, and so. Um, the idea after our original, our first filming was to, uh, uh, essentially just have an episode, but now it's going to be more like, I'm going to anchor a lot of the different episodes with different, you know, commentary about each individual story and, and everything else. And so, man, just, just such a blessing and, and we're finishing up the screen, right, man. And so like, we'll see, we'll see what happens with it, man. So I, so here, just like you were saying, like, it's tough, it's, it's tough to like, I always tell people like I'm, I'm reliving probably the worst days of my life. Right. And so 
here's a cool story behind it. And I know we're getting ready to, to end this up, but I'll finish with this this cool God story. So I'm up in Syracuse, New York, and I took a couple of days off from work and I, I was doing four keynotes in five days. And on Saturday was like a mental illness or a mental health fair. And so I'm just tired, right? Like I like I've I've read my suicide note. I've done spoken word about the last two hours of my life every night. I'm 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 mentally drained. I didn't want to do it. And and I remember waking up saying like it's like a one o'clock like show. And but I didn't want to do it. So I so but I'm like, you know what, I gotta do it because somebody may want to hear somebody, you know, needs to hear this. So anyway, so I so I go through the show and um I go through the keynote and there's a guy that's hanging out in the back and everybody gets done and, and he comes up and and he's like, Listen, I you know, I, I stayed around because I want to talk to you. He's like, you, your, your, your book needs to be a movie. Your life needs to be a movie and people need to hear this. And I'm like, he's like, have you ever thought about that? I said, yeah. I said, I just don't know the first place to start. He goes, well, it just so happens that I'm an actor and I live in Syracuse and I'm just up here for a little bit and I'm going to connect you with, with a really awesome screenwriter, no promises, no guarantees, but I'm going to make the connection. And it's up to you whether or not, whether or not he takes your, your, um, your story. And so he sets me up with, uh, with Brian. Um, interesting that, that, that name. Right. And so he sets me up with Brian and, um, and so, so we, we have this call and, uh, at the end of it, he's like, listen, I got a lot of things going on. I don't know if I can take this. I got a couple movies already, already that are getting ready to start filming. I'm just not sure that I got the time to really devote into it. He calls me back the next day and he says, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna take your story. And, uh, so we're just about done with the detailed, um, uh, playwright. And so when that's done, man, we're going to, we're going to hopefully, hopefully do whatever we can. And anybody that's listening, if, if y'all got a, a hook for me on, on a, on a, on a production company or anybody that wants to make this into a movie, the screenwriting's going to be done, um, you know, by the end of the year. So we'll see, man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so blessed and I'm so grateful for all these that's opportunities. That's amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. That is totally awesome. I, I'm really looking forward to the PBS series. Yeah, well, yeah, definitely. it's gonna be awesome, man. Like if you've never seen it, like the way they the way they do they did episode or season one is unbelievable, man. Like like wicked successful. Um, and and I'm so pumped for the way they're doing. So like if you look at my website, author Matt Griffin, the the home page is us filming, um, you know the the uh, for season two. And they're just awesome people, and they've got such great vision for what they're trying to do. And season one um, has helped so many people already. That's awesome. No. I, I like Ken Burns even more now. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, Matt, thank you so much for coming on Badge of the Bone. Man. And I, I think we need to right. probably try to work out and getting you back, because I would like to kind of dive into the whole when you left – yeah. law enforcement yeah just because that's a whole separate issue that's a a, a tough hurdle in itself it's just outside yeah. of everything else that's just tough and i know for a lot of folks that want to leave or have left struggle with that so i think those are, are valuable conversations as well yeah the identity aspect of it was such was such yep. a struggle you know personally there was such a struggle for me to to figure out who matt griffin was again so i, I would yep. i would love to do that and really you know carve into that because that took me that took me a while to really try and figure out who I was and, and, you know, without being, without having a badge on my chest. Man, I, I think that's the biggest for everyone that leaves. So yeah, we'll definitely um, stay in touch through email and carve out a, yeah. another block of time to do that episode. Cause I think there's a lot of value in that. Oh, I, th I think we got to have him. Yeah. And, I mean, and of course, it, you know, you're talking about the end and your, and your ultimate separation from your agency. Yeah. Well, we got that leadership component. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked about that plenty as well. And that contributing to a lot of our struggles. That's the next, that's the next keynote that I'm, that I'm, um, I'm putting together the curriculum I'm putting together is being a trauma informed leader. Oh, nice. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I would, I would love that. Now, now that I know that I can drink beer on here, then yeah, we can definitely. Oh yeah, absolutely. You got to. Yeah. Cause we're, actually, we're, we're in, we're in the bar. So, but, uh, but man, yeah, brother, you're doing great things. Thanks, great man. things. I'm so glad we got to, to meet and so thankful for you to come on. I, I, I thank you, man. I am absolutely so thrilled and I, I'm, I'm sorry that I didn't get to meet you in person, but hopefully that will change yeah. very soon. Yeah. Absolutely. 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 Guys. And this has been my, this is my, my absolute, absolute pleasure and, and I'm grateful for you guys and what you guys are doing and, and, you know, um, helping everybody out. So this is, this is great, man. So thank you very much and really, really grateful for it. Thank you, man. We appreciate it. How would you think? I am really glad you guys connected, man. So am I, I told you, I told you incredible story. I, no shit one of the 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 most powerful stories we've had in a while i'm just really impressed and and just in the in the fact that that griff is so positive yeah oh yeah a, a, after going so dark i mean i just i can't say that enough um he he seems to be in such a great place mm-hmm. you know in his head and his heart um, having gone to where he went, um, and, and, and seeing, dealing with the things that he had, um, and, and there were parts of his story that resonated, you know, I, I can think of instances like with the note, but yeah, you know, yeah. Where like, why did that happen? Um, something gets stuck in your head like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you know, what, what was this kid trying to say? And that, that really hit home because I've, I've had more than a couple incidents like that over the course of my public safety career where I'm like, what if, why? And, and for whatever reason it gets stuck like an earworm. Yeah, those unanswered questions. I think sometimes people forget about that. You go to these scenes or you deal with these situations, and there's just so much that is unanswered, mm-hmm. and, and you can't really reconcile that. Yeah, and and and, and I, he was one of the first people I've heard say that that way, and I and like the light bulb went off in my head. Like I've done that. I've done yeah. That. Oh yeah. Yep. <laughs> I've done. You know. It, why? 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 And I. And I. And and I know with with and for me. You know, in those instances, I can't see faces. To this day, I can't see faces. Yeah, you know, I, I have that sometimes. A lot of these, some of the worst incidents, I can't really see faces clearly. I can't remember. They're just blanks in my memory. Yeah. I, I can see every other detail, you, you know, clear as day, but I, but I cannot see a face. Yeah. And it's like my brain blocked it out. So, but you think about why, why, why could I, you know, and anyway, that just, that just resonated. That no, it was, 
We were sitting here like a couple bobbleheads through yeah. the whole episode. Yeah, so. I mean, but I think it's a great testament too to like he said, if you can make it through the next day, mm-hmm. and then you get to that day, then just make it one more day, make mm-hmm. it to the next day. You can push through. I mean, look at what a, a dark place he was, and, and mm-hmm. where he was just, I mean, defeated. Yeah, and then look where he is now. That you can make it through. That you can get through. That you can turn it all around for something that's mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, just talking <clears throat> to him off air. I mean, just oh yeah, how excited he is, how happy he is. You know, I, and I, I gotta say, I mean that. We, we've been really blessed here doing this podcast to be able to talk to folks like him. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. And, and, and others, you know, that have come on here to, to share their stories. Oh, yeah. The folks we've met. I mean, it's, it's, it's great. And I hope it's been a gift for me. <clears throat> well, me too. I mean, and I hope for everybody that's listening, you know, there's all these stories that we've heard. I hope. Anybody that's struggling or going through these things or in that dark place or feel like there's no light ahead can hear these stories and hear how difficult the times were for all these individuals we had and see that they did come through on the other side. And you can too. Everybody can come through better and make it through it. And it doesn't mean that you have a total victory either. Sure. That's a good point. All I got to do is look in the mirror. And go, you still got a lot of work to do, you know. And uh, but I think a lot of us can say that. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, me as well. Um, so, but you can get to the where you've seen some light. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, and you can get there. It's not a train. That's right. That's right. Now, <laughs> so <laughs> you're making me cough. Damn it. <clears throat> well, that's good, and so I'm, I'm glad. Really glad we got him on. Yeah, so definitely, I would definitely recommend checking out his book, The Journey to Midnight. Again, Matt Griffin, The Journey to Midnight. Pick it up, give it a read. It's We touched on just a little bit. The book goes into so much more, and it's definitely very powerful, very inspiring. So, But we got a very creative plan for a part two. Well, I'm just going to have to see if we can we make that We do. Happen. We have a part two in the works, so hopefully we'll have that part two with Griff. Yeah, not in the near future, but relatively soon. Soon, but yeah. um, but you know, I, I did want to address Al. We had some delays in some of the release of our episodes, and we talked about it with all my congestion, coughing, sinus infection, crap, beating me down. But <laughs> <laughs> there I go again. There I go again. Every time this year, with the stupid weather being hot, cold, hot, cold, it jacks me up. So, but. So, you know, we're going to take a break here soon. Yeah. yeah. But we still got some things we're going to try to get done and released before we break for the holidays. Yeah, I think we're going to try to get at least one or two more things out. Yeah. And uh, we got a couple long-term things that we're looking at. We were actually just having a conversation about that. And um, so some issues that I think you guys out there listening are probably going to want to know about. Um, and then it's going to be on to season three. Yeah. Yeah. So, but make sure if you're listening, 
you know, make sure whatever platform you use and, you know, make sure you are following us, make sure you're putting this in your library or whatnot. So you get the updates because, you know, the next couple episodes may be a little different on release times. It's a lot going on right now. So you want to get the notice that those have been dropped. Yeah. And please, if you like what you're hearing, please share it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not, not just to folks in our line of work. Um, but you know, maybe somebody that loves somebody in our line of work, but, uh, share it and, and then also let us know. I mean, if you, if you think we're doing a good job, let us know if you think we're really screwing it up. Yeah. That's hard, but let us know that too. (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, see, he's coughing again, again. but yeah, that's funny. Yeah. That's. I mean, I don't want to hear it, but, you know, we, maybe we need to hear it. Uh, you know, you, you learn from fucking up. You know, yeah, that's right. You know, if someone tells you you suck, do better. Okay, we'll do better. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do better, but I think we've had some great guests, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I think we're going we're gonna to keep plugging away at this. Yeah. But how that wraps this episode up. I believe it does. Where can they find us? They can find us at badgetothebone.com. They can also find us on Facebook at Badge to the Bone. Also, make sure to shoot us an email at wearebadgetothebone at gmail.com. Like we said, let us know what you think. Maybe you want to be on the show, but reach out and make sure to follow us. But until then, be safe and be well. It ain't no mystery.